So, people of God in Christ, as we continue in our study and proclamation of the book of Romans, in Romans 10, we, uh, we hear a word from Paul that is, I think, somewhat rare uh, in God's word, and, and even more so uh, in everyday usage, and it's the word zeal. I don't know, do you, do you ever hear the word zeal anymore? Uh, Merriam-Webster defines the word zeal to mean uh, eagerness and ardent interest in pursuit of something. Uh, again, eagerness and ardent interest in pursuit of something. It's one of those definitions maybe that where you've got you to gotta look up another word in the definition to, to, uh, to understand the definition. Ardent, uh, heartfelt, uh, eager. Uh, and ardent interest in pursuit of something. The interesting thing is uh, is that this is exactly what we are looking for in terms of uh, the Christian faith. Uh, blessed is the pastor, uh, blessed is the, the board of elders that leads a congregation of zeal, uh, a, a zealous congregation. Um, over my several years of ministry, I won't say how many, lest I uh, uh, appear old. Um, but uh, over my uh, years of uh, uh, ministry, uh, I have felt the, the disparity between the interest of church leadership in the church's ministry and that of the congregation. Uh, you lead and sometimes wonder if anyone is following. And it's especially true for the pastor because the Pastor lives and breathes ministry. Uh, pastors get up every morning thinking about the church and the ministry of the church. And the pastor goes to bed every night thinking about the church and the ministry uh, of the church. But while the pastor and to some uh, lesser degree the elders of the church live and breathe uh, ministry, the congregation uh, has a life to lead. Uh, and, and that's the way it should be. We are, we are not a commune. Uh, the church is here to support the members of the church as they work, as they should be working, and as they work and as they recreate, uh, as they raise children and, and, and seek to stay afloat amid the, uh, the very busy world and the, the challenging culture that we, uh, uh, in which we, we, we find ourselves. Even amid, uh, even amid that world of everyday life, uh, there is yet need for zeal. Uh, and, and, the, and the ministry of, of pastor and church is certainly to, to increase and sustain that zeal. Again, zeal means eagerness and ardent interest in pursuit of something. And even as I quote that definition again, uh, and that is an exact quote. I'm, I, I'm, I'm struck by the words of something. Um, eagerness and ardent interest in pursuit of something. Uh, in this way, the, the modern dictionary definition serves to make the same point that the Apostle Paul makes about zeal in Romans 10. He writes, For I, I bear them witness, referring to his own Jewish people, I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. 
So Paul is willing to commend his people uh, in this, that, that they have zeal in what they do, but it's not according to knowledge. And it raises uh, the point uh, that you can be zealous for any number of things, but for any number of wrong things uh, or just lesser things than the things of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Maybe that sounds judgmental um, because isn't it a worse thing to have no zeal at all? Uh, in Proverbs 12, verse 24 says, uh, the hand of the diligent will rule while the slothful will be put to hard labor. Proverbs 12, 27 says, whoever is slothful will not uh, roast his game, but the diligent man will get precious wealth. The opposite of zeal, I suppose, is, is sloth or laziness. So isn't it enough that we are not lazy? Isn't it enough that we are hardworking and doing what we can in this world? Well, not according to Paul's teaching in Romans 10, because while Paul is willing to commend his, his people for their zeal, he also charges them with having a zeal not according to knowledge. Even more, he charges them with being ignorant. Wow. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. So this morning we, we hear the call to zeal, the call to be zealous, but we must begin with the failure of human zeal. But why failure? Human beings can be zealous for any number of things. I, I still remember uh, when, uh, showing my age again, but uh, I still remember when Elvis Presley was uh, still singing and performing and, and seeing on the television his, his fans, particularly the, the girls, of course, fawning, screaming, tears running down their cheeks. What kind of tears were they? Uh, tears of sorrow? Tears of joy? Probably some strange mixture of the, of the two. And uh, people can be zealous for for anything lesser than God himself. Romans 10 teaches that human zeal fails. Human zeal ultimately leads to failure when it is not according to knowledge. To some degree, that, uh, that might sound rather intriguing, somewhat mystical. Uh, ah, uh, it must be according to knowledge. Knowledge. Uh, there have been some number of religious groups, uh, some even finding their starting point somewhere in, in Christianity, uh, groups that have talked about knowledge and the, 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 the mystical sense of having knowledge, attaining to knowledge. Uh, it, it, it has its roots even in the, the ancient heresy of Gnosticism, the idea that there is a, there is a knowledge a mystical knowledge to be gained, and, and, and even when that knowledge is, is not really defined, there is still the, the desire to have it 
what is it? Well, no one really knows what it is, but it, it, it's knowledge, and we must seek it. We must even be zealous for this knowledge, and this will bring what purpose to our lives or whatever else. But Paul is not talking about that kind of undefined mystical knowledge. Here is a point where we need Romans 1 through 9 to understand Romans 10. Paul commends his people for being zealous, but he is equally willing to condemn them for being ignorant, ignorant of the righteousness of God. What does he mean by this? The the righteousness of God, God's righteousness, as it reads in the ESV. Well, by looking back at Romans 1 through 9, we can see that that Paul is, is giving reference to the righteousness of God that is a gift. This is the gospel, the good news. The good news that Paul has been proclaiming that, that while God is the God of justice and of just judgment for sin, yet he is the God of grace who gives righteousness, who credits even perfect obedience to those who only trust him for it. But here I think Paul is also and in, in even primarily referring to the very character of God himself. God is holy. Let's think about it for ourselves. When, when we hear of the righteousness of God, we probably first think about his own character and being, that he is righteous, that he is holy. Righteousness and, and holiness can, can mean the same thing when they are understood as attributes of God. But here's the challenge uh, of the gospel, that, that the good news of Jesus Christ is that what God is in his character and being is what he gives. Think about that. What God is in his character and being is what God gives. It takes us back to creation when, uh, when God created man in righteousness and holiness. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And in the beginning, God created people good in his own image, that is, in true righteousness and holiness. In the beginning, God gave his own righteousness to man. That creature alone who was created in his image. The image of God in man means a number of things, including man's ability to think and, 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 and to relate consciously to his creator, including man's intelligence to manage and, and rule the earth according to God's purpose for creating man. But at the heart of it is righteousness. When we read the teaching of Paul, for him, the image of God in man is the righteousness of God given to man in the beginning. And here's where the gospel, the the good news of Jesus Christ, becomes the matter of a a new creation. We've been talking about this in in our evening series uh, in the gospel of Mark. 
that which God gave mankind in the beginning, namely true righteousness and holiness, is that which God requires, even demands of mankind now. And why, why wouldn't God require, even demand, righteousness of mankind? Why, why shouldn't God require righteousness of mankind when that's what He gave us in the beginning? When He requires, even demands, righteousness of us, He is only requiring and demanding what He Himself gave to us. If you give some money to your child to use for a specific purpose, even if it's to save or or to use later, do you not have the right to go back to the child and say, where is the money that I gave you? And if the child loses the money or squanders the money, is not the child still responsible for it? This is how we must think about the, the righteousness of God. It was the gift of God in the beginning. In the beginning, from creation, man was made in the image of God. Man was created in true righteousness and holiness, but now it's gone. Where did it go? Who of us is is perfect? And isn't that the most popular excuse for sin? Oh, well, no one is perfect. But why is no one perfect? Because we have squandered the gift of righteousness. So here's the new creation. How... Uh, Here is how the work of Christ in the flesh matches His work in creation. What God gave in the beginning, so that what God justly requires of us even now, is what God gives again through Christ. This is what is meant by a, a new creation. This is why the new creation resulting from Christ's finished work comes by way of redemption, even restoration of what God did in the beginning. And this is what the Apostle Paul means when he charges his own people with being ignorant. Of all people, Paul's people should have seen it. That you can't be saved apart from the sheer Grace of God. Unless God gives again what He gave in the beginning, there is no salvation. Unless God gives again, unless God is gracious to give the very thing that He has every right to demand of us, yet if He gives it to us, then this is the gospel, this is our salvation. But God is gracious, so that as Paul writes in verse 4, Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Christ is the end of the law because, as we have already learned in Romans, the law cannot save us. It's a good message to repeat on some regular basis, probably every Lord's Day. The law of God cannot save you, but here's the thing, that the law of God was never meant by God to save you. The reason God gives us His Ten Commandments 
is to teach us our sin, to show us our need for the gift of righteousness. So Paul doesn't mean that we can throw out the Ten Commandments because the law of God still serves the same purpose. When, when we hear that you shall and, and you shall not, we can either say, who are you, God, to tell me what to do? Or we can respond in humility and say, oh, I, I have done that that I was told not to do, and I have not done that which I was called to do. What God commands, I, I regularly fail to do. What God tells me not to do, this I regularly do. I, I, I'm a sinner. I should be righteous. God created me in Adam in true righteousness and holiness, but, but I am a sinner. So now what? It's despair in the expectation of judgment and hell, or it brings me to faith in Christ. That the very righteousness of God, the very righteousness that God gave in the beginning, the very righteousness that I don't now have, it's the very righteousness of God that is returned to me by the grace of God in my Savior, Jesus Christ. And here then is the success of God's zeal in Christ. Here's the amazing thing, that that there is finally very little difference between the slothful and the zealous person. Put forth all the zeal that you can muster And you are not different than the person who sits and does nothing. Be the best person you can be, but you are still a sinner because the standard is righteousness. Roll up your sleeves and maybe manage to live out your life in some greater obedience to God than you offered before. But what about your past sin? And what about the sin that will inevitably remain within you? So is this an argument for slothfulness, uh, uh, for not being zealous? No, but, but consider the zeal of God. In verse 5 it says, For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. So granted, over and over again, the Bible says, here is God's law. If you want to live and not die, if you you want heaven and not hell, well, just obey. Don't sin and you will live. But at the very same time, the law says the wages of sin is death. And the Apostle Paul finally got it. Do this and you will live. Don't do it and you will die. Where is the good news in that? There is none. So what does the law do for us? It teaches us our sin. It teaches us our misery and the despair that we should feel, but so often don't. And the law then opens our eyes to the beauty of Christ, 
Paul goes on to write in verse 6, but the righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven or who will descend into hell. These are the questions of human zeal. How can I get to heaven? Uh, What will keep me out of hell? But Christ has come down from heaven. He has suffered hell and he has ascended to heaven once again. And this is the word, as Paul calls it. The word of God, the message of the gospel, the, the good news of salvation, that Christ is the answer to our most urgent questions. How can I get into heaven? How can I avoid hell? Christ is the answer. And he leaves us not in the weakness of our zeal, but he leaves us in the success of God's zeal. And so finally, the call for salvation. First, it's the call of God. Here's the message of God's word, the good news of salvation, that the word is near you. The word is in your mouth, it's in your heart. The word of faith that Paul is proclaiming, here is the outcome of God's zeal for your salvation. Believe it and confess it with your mouth as Deborah and Taya and Malachi have done here this morning. Confess it with your mouth and and believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead and you will be saved. So the call for salvation begins with the call of God. It's the call of the one who has extra food. It's an imperfect metaphor or analogy, but someone who has extra food says, come and, and, and eat some of this food. I got too much. It was on sale. It was, it was crazy not to buy it and to bring it home, but I can't, I can't eat it all. Come and, and, and share it with me and have some of what... I have to offer you. This is the call of the person who has something valuable and doesn't care to sell it on eBay, so they are prepared to give it away. I, I have this thing. Anyone who wants to can, can come and get it. There's no charge. Except that here with the gospel, it's, it's, it's not just available to the first person who shows up. It's offered to all. And it's not just a thing, it's forgiveness from sin, it's, it's righteousness before God, it's resurrection from the dead, it's eternal life, it's heaven and not hell. Come and get it, says Paul. There's no distinction between Jew and Gentile. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's been pointed out before, it needs to be said again, that there are many, as you well know, there are many prayers that you can pray. And God may say no, or God may say not right now. And so you pray and you pray and you pray, and you don't get what you are asking for. Here is a prayer that you can pray and you will immediately receive it. 
Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. There is no shortage. There is no reason why God will not immediately grant this prayer, this request. God have mercy on me, a sinner, for the sake of Christ. Whatever secondary reasons, the primary reason, the foundational reason is that we do not have a righteousness of God in view. We do not have God's own righteousness in view. If you're comparing yourself to another person, you may very well be better than them. But even if you compare yourself to others and find yourself lacking by the comparison to another sinner, consider that both you and all human beings are lost in sin. We, we don't have righteousness. You say, well, I don't believe in a God who requires righteousness. Well, then you don't believe that there is even a thing called righteousness. Because if God himself is not the standard of righteousness, then there is no such thing as righteousness. But if God is righteous, if he is holy, the only only way for you to be saved is to receive his gift of himself, his gift of righteousness to you. We are very good at creating other gods, gods that don't exist, gods that are not righteous. And we can get ourselves off by doing that, right? If God's not righteous, then I don't need to be righteous and my sin doesn't really matter. But as we, as we understand that God is righteous, then we are left in our sin until we hear the gospel that God gives righteousness. Sinners left to themselves are, are ignorant of the righteousness of God. They, they seek to establish their own righteousness, whatever that might mean. But they do not submit to God's righteousness. First of all, His righteousness in His very being, His holiness. But neither do they submit to God's righteousness in terms of his gift of righteousness. So here's the bad news and the good news together, and they must come together. The bad news, God is righteous. He is just. He is fair to require and to demand of you righteousness, perfect obedience. The good news, the good news is that God sounds forth No other call than the call to believe. Believe it. Accept it. Hope in it. Rejoice in Christ as you trust in Him and are saved. Amen. Let's pray. We confess, O God, that the difficulty of hearing the glory of the good news is our own pride.
and our own desire to make of you what we want you to be. So help us. Give us humility. Humble us. So that even as we see that you are holy, that you are holy, 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 yet you are also the God of grace who gives the credit and counts righteousness to those who trust in you. Thank you for the good news of Jesus Christ. May each and every one here this morning receive it in faith and rejoice in Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.